planned on changing it sometime early in the week and we changed it halfway through the service on Friday at four o'clock. It's kind of wiped the slate clean and, and set up for a new menu in quite a rush, which is good. Good fun. What made you decide to change it? Um, it changes seasonally, so three times a year it changes. Um, and this, this time is a few weeks later than we would normally have done. The current menu runs right through summer and then the menu just come off is the, the one that runs for the shortest amount of time. It's kind of like there's, there's into spring. So we've got some really nice stuff on this time. Some nice asparagus, which we're getting from a farm about four miles away, Sand Hutton. We've got some, um, some really nice seafood, which comes up from Hartlepool, from the day boats out there. And some fantastic spring lamb. I'm pretty biased, but everything's, everything's exciting. Is that what brought you over to Yorkshire a little bit, the produce? Or? Uh, so I... I came to um, I came to York originally for for a couple of weeks working in a hotel where the chef had um, done a runner, and they phoned me and said like I need to come and do it two weeks while we just to tide us over some time. I went to work in this hotel and got to know York a little bit, and I I thought to myself I I could live here, so I did. <laughs> and that was about five years ago. I never looked back really, and that was long before the star in the city even kind of came into my mind. It was just an idea at that at that stage. Did you feel any pressure moving over into the rival county, or not? Not really. No, it was. Um, it wasn't always a full time thing. So, in my mind, I was only here for for a few weeks. Uh, I've always lived like with my, near my family on the wrong side of the hill. I never went anywhere where I thought well, I could kind of put my roots down here. I went and worked in London, Oxford, went you know did Highlands of Scotland. I never went anywhere where I thought I like it in a theatre kind of make, make a life here so uh, York's just a bit different it's pretty special yeah the scenery it's, yeah it's really nice have you seen it grow a little bit in terms of the bars and restaurants available yeah I think the scene the scene's changed a little bit so um, when Jay Bakers were were here uh, I never ate there unfortunately but I don't think I realised the kind of the magnitude of what they were doing at the time they were like an iconic obviously Jay Bakers like an iconic guy in, in this area but there was nothing in York when we opened here. There's not really anything um, dramatic apart from a few kind of what I would call like neighbourhood restaurants. Um, the main one really being Lilangi, um, which is now gone. I think we've changed the kind of eating out culture to some extent and made others think that, yeah, it would be all right to, to do something a bit different in York. Not that we reinvented the wheel, but people said it wouldn't work, said the location wouldn't work because of, because of where it was and the type of area it was. There has been a lot of regeneration by, by the riverside. The council spent a lot of money in it. You know, it's a, it's a nice site, as you can see. The other thing about being where you are is that York floods, especially right down on the river. Yeah, that's an interesting one, really, because we, we've been very lucky. And um, not last Christmas, but the Christmas before, I'd been home uh, on Boxing Day. and I've been checking out the, um, there's an app, which uh, the environment agency have, and it tells you what the uh, water level was. And I could see it rising and kind of early doors in the morning and came back right back in York about half six I came straight down here and you know as the like emergency key holder and um, wanted to see what was going on and the water level was rising pretty rapidly so we emptied the cellar we emptied the kitchen so we're all like about two foot below the main level of the building uh, it's pretty nerve wracking really but we were, we were very lucky we were less than half an inch away from it was it, it touch and go? yeah yeah it's, um, it's like a sump in the cellar and the water table fills up and then you no matter how much barricading you do it comes up through the floor so we were we were very lucky but it's um we put some really kind of important procedures into place to stop that happening again and we're storing things differently in there yeah we were, we were lucky really is that something you thought about when you first came to the site or was it one of those things where you were just so impressed it, by the area no and... it's something that's been planned in right from the beginning of the the concept of the restaurant being being here designers um fitted a, a really clever system outside under the decking area which is um, designed to receive volumes of water and not to let it damage the uh, the building itself so there's kind of three big chambers underneath the decking which which are planned in for that but yeah it wasn't always um, it wasn't always a restaurant there was an old toilet block there for quite a long time <laughs> it's quite a special venue isn't it especially on a sunny day like today you must be crowned around lunchtime and... yeah lunchtime is is where a lot of people want to come and sit outside. It changes the way people eat. Instead of people having three courses, they might go for something a bit more relaxed and have a couple of glasses of wine or a pint. And that kind of affects the, 
trends of how people eat and it makes our life need to use a little bit more educated guessing in terms of what we order for the sunny days we run the same menu everywhere inside and out that helps us again to absorb to absorb a sunny day stop it from causing us any um, any supply issues really I'm Paul Newbegin and welcome to the Past Podcast we're coming to the end of the first series so I just wanted to say a few thank yous to the people that Without them, we wouldn't really be able to do a past podcast. There would be no past podcast series one. And even more exciting, we are coming back for series two. But I'll talk a little bit about that in a sec. So first of all, our wonderful series one sponsors, Great British Chefs. They've been absolutely amazing to work with. So friendly, so kind. And the thing is, is what you've got to realise, when you're starting these things out and when you're building them, it's so rare to have somebody who'll sponsor you and get behind you from nothing. And they really did. They completely bought into the concept. They completely got behind us. And, and they just made it work, especially with Josh on Great British Menu this year. They got so excited about that. And I think that's something that we'll definitely explore going forwards between the guys and myself to have something maybe while the great british menus on that we can have some of the contestants i've obviously been talking to some people that have been involved with it to be a part of series two so watch this space but thank you for great british chefs and listen guys if you haven't subscribed to their website already just go on greatbritishchefs.com subscribe to their mailing list and at the end of the day the worst that can happen is it makes me look good and it makes you look good because you look like a lovely person and i'll give you a big kiss when i see you person i wanted to thank was adam now he's somebody that a lot of you won't know but he's from a company called bespoken podcasting and he's been editing and mastering my podcast for me now i work full time i work nine to five at the moment and quite frankly i just i don't have any background in editing i've got no background in mastering i've never really worked even garage band before and adam has been absolutely incredible so if you're somebody who's interested in maybe making a podcast yourself or you need sound advice audio advice i would definitely 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 recommend adam and the other person is my good friend craig from ambient light now actually his day job is photographer and filmographer and it's something that we're talking about maybe getting some video or photo content at the past so first and foremost keep your eyes out for that but secondly he's actually been also available for me to help out the pre- editing the pre-recording advising me on what microphones to get what sound quality how to set this up that up the other thing he's just an absolute technical wizard so craig i have to thank you so 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 much and of course the guests every single guest went into this blind not really knowing what to do i've got a little simple document that i send them that describes the podcast obviously we're going to talk about these five dishes we're going to ask you about you uh, and, and each one have taken it completely in their stride. They've been amazing. So I just wanted to thank Andrew Pern. I wanted to thank Josh, James Alcock, Sean Rest, and uh, my guest, Matt Hunter, who was on the final traditional episode of Series 1, shall I say. And that brings me on to the unique content that we've added onto the past this year as well. So something that I wanted to do was I wanted to add a cheese course and a wine pairing to the menu. And what I've done is I've either asked the chefs for their favourite dishes or where they've had a few dishes like the Matt Hunter example. I've chosen a dish that will go on to a menu of the first series. And I'm really, really happy to say that the wonderful Stephen Fleming from George and Joseph Cheesemonger in Leeds has come in to do us a cheese board for our menu of series one it's just to give you a flavor of some of the cheeses that he holds in his shop and also to highlight what's going on in yorkshire in terms of cheese production because actually i didn't know it's it's a really bustling county and lastly we've got a really special episode with vicky roberts from le cochon so obviously we met josh in the episode two of this series and now his fiance vicky has come on to do us a wine pairing now 
what this lady doesn't know about wine isn't worth knowing. And if you're a wine fan, I would definitely recommend to tune into this episode because she offers some real insight into flavour pairings, combinations, how to match wine. It's incredible. So those two episodes are going to be going out back to back from the Matt Hunter interview. So if you're listening to Matt Hunter right now, then they'll be in the next two weeks. So thank you very much for coming on. My guest today is the Director of Operations at the Star in the City, it's Matt Hunter. So you're Lancashire boy, you saw the light and uh, came over to Yorkshire and like you say, after a little while you end up working for Andrew Pern. So you spent some time working at the Star at Harrow, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. And now you've moved on and taken on the new challenge at the Star in the City. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks for uh, coming down to see us. No, my pleasure. Tell me a little bit then about your role as the Director of Operations. So um, I'll start from the top. I moved to York five years ago. I had um, been doing a little bit of agency work. And I was kind of uh, treading water a bit, really. And I heard that Andrew was opening this site in York. And I, I got in touch with him and I said, remember me? Um, talked about the uh, rhubarb schnapps. as the story behind that. Andrew came to Northcote while I was working there to do the food festival. That was in 2007. The Monday night, and he, he was um, came over with his team, cooked his menu, cooked all these kind of Yorkshire-inspired dishes, rhubarb, black pudding foie gras. It was interesting to see how they did things. And Andrew, uh, he's, he's a particular, he's a jolly character, and he's the type of person you never forget meeting, particularly as a young chef. When I moved to York, I got in touch with him, and I said, "Can I come and see you?" So I did. Went up to Harem. It was at the time when uh, they didn't have a Michelin star. Andrew had been through a really um, been through the mill really a lot of things had happened and he um, then decided he was going to open the restaurant in York and here we are I went to work up in Aram he designed the menus designed the kitchen recruited the team and then we opened in October 2013 so we're about three and a half years in so you sat in front of me and you're in your chef's whites but you don't have the word chef in your title do you spend a lot of time at the pass so I run the entire operation here with the aid of a really good team who have kind of built up over over the time we've been here, um, there is a head chef who runs the kitchen. My kind of outfit for work is is a chef jacket and trousers, and that's how I um, I run the the business from the kitchen in the same way that Andrew does in Aram. So he has Steve who runs the kitchen for him up there, but he's he's kind of the uh, the one who keeps it all together. And I'd like to think that that is my my role here as well. <laughs> Do you imagine yourself being a head chef one day? When we first opened, my role here was the head chef, and I was kind of um, I was in the kitchen as, as much as I am now, kind of cooking with the guys, and it, it, was, um, it was my first head chef's role. So it was really exciting for me in that sense, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what the York food scene wanted. We started off with a menu that contained some dishes which we uh, designed at the Star at Harem using Andrew's kind of classic style. The, the operation here was so much busier than it had been uh, preempted that we had to change everything pretty quickly. It was a very interesting time, so we needed to keep the vision of, of Andrew's cooking and the ingredients, but we have made it all a bit more streamlined to suit, to suit a faster pace of service. Uh, we serve all day, serve breakfast, lunch, dinner, seven days a week. We needed um, a menu that would suit that, suit that style, that kind of all-day brasserie style which is what we what we do here have you taken on the busiest project do you think i think so i've, I've done about um i've done five new openings this this one will be my fifth and i've done from various different uh, sectors and as part of my career and i've tried to work in different places and, and gain influences from different people ultimately you have to become your own person a lot of chefs now cooking cooking food from the heart we cook what we call crowd pleasers we cook in the food that We've talked to the clientele and asked them what they want on the menu, and it's, it's on there. The, we do a, re, a weekly report to see what trends are occurring. It's always the same things that we are that coming to the top of the tree in terms of the, the volume. So I find that quite interesting that you've said crowd pleaser because the first dish on your menu that you've given me here, I don't think it could be much more of a crowd pleaser. I tried to I tried to um, represent my own style in the in the menu and. The dishes that are on there are all things that mean something to me. So they may not be um, may not be fine dining or trendy or fashionable. But there's a story behind every one of them. 
So when one of asked you to do this and asked you to become a part of this project and said, like, I'd like you to put a menu together, what was your first thought then? How did you go about trying to collate what you've achieved so far? So the, dish, the dishes we're going to talk about are, all represent a part of my life. I've tried to write it as a menu, but there is, uh, there's no dessert, which is always an afterthought. <laughs> right, so the first dish is a prawn cocktail. Now, if you'd asked me five years ago what dish I would be known for, what dish would be most popular in a restaurant that I was running, I would never have imagined it would be a prawn cocktail. It's kind of become, become iconic for the star in the city. It's, it's a dish that um, has always been on the menu, I think it's probably the only thing that's, that's stayed on there right from the start. Your, even Yorkshire puddings didn't arrive until the second menu. Prawn <laughs> um, cocktail is one of those things that every time you have a journalist come in, they always have it. It's always in the photo shoots. It's on the website. It's all of the leaflets and um, something we use um, as, a, as a real crowd pleaser. It's, it's the number one crowd pleaser. Where did that idea come from then? Because like you say, you've come from this fine dining background. You've come from here and what? Did you just say, right, what's a crowd pleaser, right, we need a prong, or was it the location to the river maybe, or...? Andrew had had a prong cocktail on the menu in Aram, on the market menu. We said, how, how can we make the best prong cocktail that we can make? So we set about looking at different recipes for the Marie Rose sauce, we looked at different, uh, different sizes of prong, we had crayfish into it, we have um, hot smoked salmon, and then it's all topped off with a... Um, a little Rocher, Rocher Sheffy, um, <laughs> a Bloody Mary Sorbet on top, and in the bottom we've got a pea puree. So it's kind of it's a little bit of a journey through the through the meal. So you get the, the really the frozen Bloody Mary Sorbet to start, which is kind of excites the palate. Prawns, the roast smoked salmon, uh, the dressed salad leaves, and there's a bit of sunburst tomato and basil in there, and then the pea puree is kind of a palate cleanser at the end. So we something simple like a pea puree. We've worked on that and we don't add anything to it. So we blanch the peas in boiling water, come from a farm just on the outskirts of York, blanch them in boiling water, they go into a blender, we blend it and pass it, and we don't add any salt, butter or anything. It's really, it's really pure. We found that if we, add, if we added things to it, it changed the texture. If we added butter, it made it taste greasy. If we added salt, it made it go brown. It doesn't need anything, so we just leave it alone and it is good. I like the, you say we a lot. It seems very much like a team effort between Andrew yourself you've also got a head chef here is it like a happy family or are there arguments no or? not at all it, 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 we do get on very well and it is quite cliche to say that it's like a family but it does feel like that and as the group as it is Andrew Perns uh, different venues grows we're all growing and we, we kind of get into know each other as well because there's much more going on where we do it, we do regular dinners with uh, Andrew and Steve from here and Andrew's cooking uh, with the team at Mr P's tonight we're doing some demos as we're opening Whitby in a few weeks' time. So there's quite a lot happening, and we try and um, try and keep a bit of joined-up thinking. It's good for everybody to share your own experiences, and the, the, the head chefs in the other sites and the people who run those sites, are all, they're all tradespeople in their own right. And Andrew's been really good, at, for myself particularly, leaving, leaving us to make decisions while supporting us every step of the way. What I'm interested in with three, so you've got three basically excellent chefs, You've got the proprietor, you've got Andrew, then yourself, and then your head chef. When a dish leaves the past, when it's served to a guest, whose dish is it? Has it come from yourself? Has it come from Andrew? Or is it always Andrew's dish because his name's above the door? It is a bit of a mixture, really. Andrew is, is the visionary. So he is the one with all the big ideas, and we are the ones who make it happen. So whilst we have an element of leeway with the specials and we get to put dishes on the menu, we write the menu with Andrew... Andrew's given us a track to run on and we use both of his books, reference, we've got copies in the kitchen, we've got copies in the office. We talk about what what garnish did Andrew put with a flatfish. So he may have used Lishman's salami with John Dory. We would then use Yorkshire chorizo with lemon salt, for example. So we're kind of following the same rules, which is, is keeping it true to why people are coming here because Andrew's name is off the door. Where does the dish start from? Does it start from the produce? Does it start from the season? Yeah, the, the season. The season's right. The menus. A lot of the time, we need to make sure that we can get something consistently throughout the duration of the menu. This one particularly runs for about six months, so we've got asparagus on there, and we know for a fact that we can't get that for six months. So now we've got into a swing of 
printing shorter runs of the menu and changing it a month in, two months in. So any little niggles we can change them, we can write those out. It's allowing us to be absolutely bang on with what's seasonal and what's available to us. Uh, the best the best quality, the local stuff, which changes all the time. Uh, it's really exciting. Uh, it's, it's The flexibility to do that is, is a great thing. When a plate comes back in, are you looking at a plate and going, oh, they've left a little bit on that one. That might need to be tweaked. Oh, that one's completely clean. That's obviously a winner. Or is it much more you're going out and talking to the guests? Yeah, we talk, we talk to people and we see what they've enjoyed and we ask them if there's anything that they think we could improve on in the early stages of the menu. We have a lot of regular customers who come back week in, week out. We try dishes out on the specials before they go onto the venue so we know the kind of blueprint for the dish is already, it's already done. We know what that's going to look like. And then we just kind of we work on it and we, we talk to the staff, the waiters who are looking after the guests and they get the honest feedback from people and we project that into the menu to try and make it as best we can. Do you have like a stress test in your head before your service? You have to say, right, it has to hit these certain criteria. It has to, for you personally, taste like this or... Yeah, I do. I do and I, I think it's a balance because people need to... Uh, the, the staff who are... The team who are cooking the dishes, they need to know from me how I envisage that dish to be. And I... I'm like the gatekeeper, really, for, for Andrew. So we, we're maintaining the standard whilst people have a certain expectation of what they're going to get when they come here. And we have to keep that standard high. That's my job. And I, I want the dishes to represent what we're doing seasonally. I want people to enjoy what they have. It's not, it's not just the food. Food is, is my background, but it's the entire experience. It's all the little touches, like having the fire on outside the chimney, which is the same as the one in Harem. They've got a classic old-school um, chimney. We've got a recycled washing machine. <laughs> so it's it's along the same uh, the same route, but slightly different. What what step separates the star in the city to the star at Heron? So the star at Heron is an iconic. It's an iconic place. I worked there for a short while before we opened here. I've eaten there many times. <laughs> um, I've stayed over in, in the, the lodge across the road. I'm really kind of immersed myself in what, what they do. have got a kitchen garden, which is fantastic. have got um, numerous, I think, 15 different uh, types of apple growing in the garden. The forage in the local area for things like uh, herbs and there's a, it's like a mushroom forager. They get all these different people bring things to the back door that they've grown. Or there's a lady down the road who um, looks after all the honey and the hives on Andrew's land. They have their own bees in, in theory without the pain of having to look after them. <laughs> and they are the number one gastro pub in the UK. Do you feel a little bit of pressure maybe when you've got that pub in the chain or do you feel like you're a separate entity? Yeah, in, in terms of the offering, it's completely different. We get a lot of chefs who come to eat here from various different places and being so close to the railway station and the, the transport, you can be in London in an hour and 50 minutes. You get a lot of people, you know, Michelin star chefs, people who are very well-known um, personalities, come and eat here. And the pressure is always on. And if you if you have a two Michelin star chef coming in for Sunday lunch, you can't do anything differently for them than you do for everybody else. We're trying to get the same plate of food out to 300, 400 people on a Sunday lunch. They come in here for that kind of relaxed offering. And whilst we do our best, we try and, try and treat everybody as a VIP. Every plate that goes out of the kitchen is, you know, with a bit of love and a, a lot of hard work exactly how it should be. So let's move on and talk about your second dish that you've given me. So the second dish is a pasta bake. Now, I was invited to a friend's house for um, my birthday. They said, we'll cook your birthday tea. And there was a, a pasta bake in the oven. It also made me a chocolate cake as well, which was fantastic. And the pasta bake has always been something. That, that kind of point in my life when I was there with all my friends eating this pasta bake, it wasn't about the food. It was about the company. It was about who you're with and the way that it made you feel the food being a part of a part of that experience but not being everything um, that is how we try to we use the dishes to tell a story we use the local ingredients local farms local growers all people who you know the pasta bake was one of those dishes where um, and you know Michael O'Hare captured it perfectly when he was on MasterChef not MasterChef Great British Menu and he said, um, he'd done the dish with the egg, and it was called Everyone I Ever Ate With. He told a story so well of how I felt about that, 
pasta baked dish that I've been banging on about for about <laughs> 10 years. And I wish that I'd had such a nice way of describing it. But it, that was very cleverly done, and it, it, it kind of described the way I felt about that about that moment and the, and the pasta bake. So. That's really nice. Do your friends get nervous cooking for you? Yeah, they do, actually. And I, I, I'd rather they didn't. And I can understand the, the obvious pressure of cooking for a chef. Yeah, right. I wouldn't. Let's put it this way: I'm not going to go down and make up a sandwich or anything like that after this interview. Simple pleasures, really. We we enjoy chefs, enjoy um, hospitality, and the food is a big part of our lives. But we we never go out to eat to pull anybody apart. We just go to have a good time. We get you know very little time off in this trade, and what time off we do have is is pretty sacred. So we just want to enjoy ourselves and. You know, eat great food with friends. Do you go to Michelin stars and yeah. places? Or so last year, I I ate at um, I ate at a two star for the first time and a three star. So um, I'd only ever eaten at one star before. And I've had some great meals. I've had some great meals in, in restaurants without a Michelin star, to be honest. Some some pretty local ones. But the the difference in the the standard in those places probably wasn't what I'd expected. And the, the one-star places, the jump to two stars was more kind of theatrical. Uh, and again, to jump to three was more like smoke and mirrors, really. It was all very cleverly done, but the, something had kind of detracted away from the food, which, which took away what was, um, what was special about those, those dishes. What is your favourite place you've eaten at? Are you recording me? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can be as honest as you want. Um, so... The probably the best meal I've ever had would be um, the Black Swan Olstead. Yeah. In January, it was fantastic, unbelievable. Um, but I had some great meals in local restaurants as well. Um, the Cochon, fantastic. Every single thing, every element of every dish was fantastic. Uh, Scosh on the Cougar, brilliant. And the concept is, is fantastic. Again, start out, brilliant. And the vision going somewhere like that is just what we're here for. We're here to kind of spread that same message and you can make people feel as special as they make you feel when you're there so it's half the battle really if you go and eat at somewhere say like Andrew's places so you go into Mr P's or something like that do you feel a little bit of extra pressure again or does it feel weird or what if I go to eat there yeah um, do you feel like you're still at work no not at all not at all and I, we um, we'll eat out in various different places Mr P's Star Hair and Pipe and Glass some fantastic restaurants in York we don't see it as work because you need to switch off when you're not working because otherwise it kind of destroys every uh, every minute of every day before you turn it into work. So we, if you go out for a meal, we'll see things. Uh, I'll see things and I'll think, oh, I like how they've done that. I don't like that. You know, that kind of is how you formulate your own style. You don't always need to go and work somewhere or with someone to understand the way that, the way that they put something together. That's how you, um, that's how you become your own person with it. What I find quite interesting about your career is you've got two really prestigious head chefs on rival counties on your CV. So we've got Nigel Howarth in Lancashire and Andrew Pern in Yorkshire. How do the two compare? When I worked for Nigel, Nigel's had a really big thing uh, throughout his his career of nurturing people. That's something I I will always have with me. I was one of those people who he kind of he took under his wing. We do a lot of the same here with our younger guys coming through we, uh, we have a really good relationship with the local colleges and we work with colleges all over the country Nigel and Andrew get on very well we went to the Maldives together Nigel was at Andrew's wedding Nigel's been here a few times we did a dinner uh, which was a bit like a North Coast takeover here at the start in the city where Nigel came over with a few of his guys Kirk, his son and uh, Bruno and we cooked their, our team cooked their dishes with them so it was a bit of a kind of wasn't War of the Roses because they they brought their own menu. It was great to work with Nigel again and his guys. Um, Andrew and Nigel had a bit of a, an introduction about me and how I ended up here, which was uh, which was nice. Uh, a proud moment for me because they both have contributed towards my career massively in different ways, and I, I'm thankful that they, they get on so well. What's left for you to achieve? Do you feel a lot of people? one of the most common questions I've asked is will you open your own restaurant and I've often given the same answer it's going to be the same today <laughs> you see the pitfalls of um, 
people going it alone and opening their own places and the pressures that they're under. We we have a big operation here and we can feed a thousand people on a Saturday in summer in one day. And the pressures of that are so much different to what they would be of running a smaller place where you have to do everything from emptying the bin to paying the wages. In a, in a big place, you just do, you are a cog in the machine. Everybody is so important to that kind of d- delivery of the service on such a busy day. And I enjoy the logistical side of things. I enjoy making sure that everything is where it needs to be and people are, people are on blast. And that is that goes down to the bodies as well to make sure that you have the right people in the right places. Because if you don't, you end up getting caught out. So your next two dishes, I like that it ties in with the War of the Roses. So perhaps we can talk about them both together and then we'll do a couple more questions afterwards. So what's the first dish? So the first dish is a lamb hot pot. Now, this is the dish that Nigel is, is famed for. And a lot, a lot of people think that a lamb hot pot contains things like uh, carrots and bits of veg and stuff. And it's, it's not, in its purest form, it's a very simple dish. Onions, lamb, potatoes, and then cabbage and carrots on the side. It sounds so, it sounds so plain. It can be so amazing. If it's done right, if you use the right ingredients, if you treat it with the right care, attention, do it in the right way, it can be fantastic. And that same principle could be applied to, to anything, even you know, like a roast dinner or a club sandwich. If you're going to make it, you may as well put that extra effort in and, and get it right. Is it one of those things as well that your mum makes it best? Um, nobody makes a hot pot like Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should leave that there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so let's go to from is it from the red rose to the white over, rose is that right yeah. cross over to the border yeah to let's the, uh, go over to the good side and so, talk about your next dish so Yorkshire puddings again we sell loads of Yorkshire puddings they're a staple of Yorkshire cuisine my earliest my earliest memories of being being in the kitchen were with my grandpa and he used to make the Yorkshire pudding batter and he'd sit on the windowsill and he'd let it rest it was, uh, it was a very uh, ceremonial occasion. Uh, he would then um, he then make the Yorkshire puddings and he'd have them for starter, main and dessert. <laughs> um, he'd have them with jam on, you know, and they, it was something that he, he was kind of passionate about. It's iconic in, in Yorkshire. Uh, it's something we, uh, we're really proud of. And uh, again, going back to that kind of quality, quality aspect, is sourcing the ingredients carefully, free range eggs, milk saw from Yorkshire Farms, we use a really nice flour. The Yorkshire puddings we have here, like plant pots, are enormous. But it's so dramatic, and it's certainly not uh, fine dining at all, but it's, it is a real, real crowd-pleaser again. That, that phrase is, uh, it keeps coming back around, doesn't it? Do you feel that need to please people as a chef? That is, that's what we do it for. It's not, it's not self-serving at all. If people aren't happy with what you're doing, then you, you kind of need to take a take a look at why you're doing it the people who come through the door the people who keep who keep us all uh, keep us going you know so this is what I'm interested in now so I'm going to take a little break from your menu when this place first opened you said it to me that you felt like something wasn't right I've read there was a lot of reviews negative reviews around the time there was this thing about the I've already spoken to Andrew about the bread and the flat cap and things like that <laughs> what was that like at that time can you try and sum it up from your perspective so we'd, we'd taken some dishes from Harem we designed a menu, we looked at what other people in York were doing at that time, and we tried to, to, to project into the next six months what people were going to want when they came here. We opened with some dishes that had too many movements on the plate. So one dish had uh, a mallard cooked in three different ways. It was a, um, like a comfy leg, it's like a forced meat, the rest was serving. To deliver that dish with three different sauces for hundreds of people, just didn't work for us so we we had a meeting we got through the first couple of months with that menu we had a meeting myself um, and Andrew and we talked about what we needed to change to make it more streamlined the menu after that was a bit of a statement menu for us we we'd open with like rack of ribs half spatchcock uh, chicken ox cheek Yorkshire puddings featured on there gammon egg and pineapple went for the real like pub classics and that was that was our message to people that it wasn't like error, and it was never intended to be like that. People had a certain expectation when they saw Andrew's name off the door of fine dining. We needed to get them away from that thinking and set ourselves apart from error. Uh, at the time, they didn't have a Michelin star. 
and we taken a lot of their dishes to, to open here. The inspiration, using the same ingredients, meant that they, they couldn't do the cod, flat parsley mash and more marinier dish. So they designed some new dishes. And that, Andrew and Steve worked on that menu, the new menu, and that's what's going to push them back up to the top of the tree. So they've gone from being in a, being in a bad place to being in a great place. And it's, it's so well deserved. We try to do the same thing here in terms of turning turning around what people thought about us and yes we did have some bad reviews not it's not for everybody but we try and we try and say to people the style is you could bring your grandma or your kids and there's some there is something for everybody on the menu but when we first opened it wasn't like that people thought that um, a lot of the the media hype couldn't get in we booked up months and months in advance wasn't the case fine dining not the case um We've turned into a real, like, special occasion place. We do a lot of weddings, anniversaries, birthdays. There's a wedding downstairs today, actually. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's interesting to see how it's evolved. The case, do you think, of being less chefy for the menu? Um, yeah, I do. I do. I do. The, the menu wasn't intended to be self-serving. The people's expectations when they came here after the beans and ham was was wrong. Uh, it wasn't wrong. It was different to what we thought it would have been. And the people would come in and say, "Oh, we got to hair all the time. It's not the same. It was never intended to be the same. You should feel the same walking through the door. And the minute you open the door, you, you know it's Andrew's place because there's all these kind of like knickknacks and bits and pieces. The logo represents what the evolution from the star in to the star in the city and now the star in the harbour. I think when people know Andrew, they know how he would how he would fit a place out. He wanted to feel homely. If you walk around here and you see pictures of his kids, you see all the kind of all the little trinkets of his, his life, all the different chef's jackets signed by different people and notes from people who've been to eat there. It all it all tells a story. It's, it's all part of why we're here. What did it feel like to have that negative criticism? I felt a lot of pressure personally and I I wanted to get it right for for Andrew I wanted to get it right for my own sanity we we made changes and we still make changes every single day we move things around furniture we move uh, dishes about on the menu we adjust the placement of a dish for things um, we always do a little feature menu we feature rhubarb uh, Yorkshire feature Whitby is the current one so we we try and work on keeping keeping it going, keeping it fluid, but we would never, we, we do it little and often, so we're just chipping away at it all the time. I saw this interview of you online, I think it was a promotional video, and I love this quote from you, you said that your favourite bit of equipment was pan, and your, your essential ingredient <laughs> was a bit of salt. Would you class yourself as a, a simple chef, a man of simple pleasures, or is there still a bit of you that wants to be that chefy North Coast star at Harem? Uh, no, I, th- I think I would stand by that statement, really. We, we are, we're very fortunate in the trade now to be... Uh, I think the, the way people cook is changing. People are using more chemicals, people are using more like new techniques, sous vide, vacuum packing, water baths, dehydrating stuff. Uh, we have all the technology in the kitchen here, and we use it to supplement the style of our cooking. We dehydrate something to become a part of the dish. We have all the different... Um, the chemicals, if you want to call them chemicals, which we use to supplement our style. We never go away from being true to our roots. So if you have a if you have a duck dish, a duck breast, it goes in a pan. It gets cooked old school. We have you know we have a deck oven underneath the stove, and that's how we that's how we do it. That's how Andrew does it. That's how we do it. Is that how you've learned as well? That's my style. A lot of chefs have they want to use these new techniques and that. There is definitely a place in the industry for them. It's just not for me, really. Do you feel like, because not all the time Andrew's here, you're the helm of this place? That's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I do. I do, and we do various different things with people. We've got um, got various special nights coming up with different menus and trying to keep everybody entertained a lot of the time. It's, um, it's a bit of a balancing act, really, because you've got the the focus of getting the job done having people here and then you you want them to have their own to put their own stamp on things 
without deviating too far away from what what they're here for. Would you like to go back and try a hand at a Michelin star in Harem and be an operations manager there? Or it's not my world, really. That you feel like you're. Yeah, I feel like I'm much more suited to. Um, uh, I wouldn't say it's a more relaxed way of life because it's not at all. Uh, but, but much more suited to this style of delivery. What makes yeah, a chef a Michelin star chef as opposed to? So you've got Andrew who has that Michelin star, but he's also able to dot around. What to you is the difference? I think it's interesting that you would use the, the Michelin star as the um, it's the pinnacle of achievement for a chef is to earn a Michelin star. Andrew, Andrew's done it twice, and I, I think that it's pretty much unheard of to lose a star and to win it back. And I, I'm not sure if. Um, if I've heard of anybody who's done that before, the, the pressures that it puts on the people is enormous. Bernardo Azzo, he shot himself, he thought he was going to lose one of his three stars, and he wasn't. He heard in the newspaper that that was going to happen. We have enough pressure on just delivering, you know, what we do here day to day without that kind of that constant got a table of one is initially, you know, they don't really come out in ones anymore, they eat in pairs. You're always living I think on edge. It would drive me absolutely wild, to be honest. <laughs> You're always wondering who it's going to be. Yeah. What's the most satisfying part of your job? Then, what do you enjoy the best? Just enjoy, enjoy people, talking to people, pleasing people. Talk to a lot of the guests who come in here and ask them what what they think, what they think of what we're doing, what they think of the menu, think of the new decor, put some new tables and chairs in. You know, how do they feel about that? Just getting to know people, and we, we are. It's not a whole other community because it's a restaurant. We're trying to like chip away at it all the time and make people give people other reasons to come here. So they're popping for a pint, coming for a coffee and a cake, for afternoon tea. We try and fill the nooks and crannies of the day. I have to say, I absolutely love this place. I think it's such a beautiful setting. But again, it's harder, especially in Yorkshire. You're not always getting sunshine, but especially on a day like today, it must be quite a satisfying place to work. Yeah, it is. It is very satisfying. We, the great special thing about this this restaurant is that you could be sat in here on a Saturday night and there could be 150 people in here it feels nice or you could be the only table in here on a Saturday morning having some breakfast and you, you don't feel like you're in a big cavernous space it still feels special and I think that, that is something that was, um, was thought of right from the start and when I saw the, the first designs of the building I thought to myself if it looks half as good as it does in the drawings and it's going to be fantastic <laughs> and I remember walking around the night before we opened and I, I couldn't believe how great it looks it does make you feel a certain when you walk in the door it can be intimidating for people if you've not been before but then it feels nice you you can go to somewhere that has been been fitted out as a, as a chain and have rolled out that idea and it doesn't feel personal whereas here you know you know what someone's thought about the heights and the lampshades or the, you know, the, the style of the place, the colours, how it all feeds into itself, how it makes you feel. I think um, I think we're lucky with the location. It's fantastic by the river, relaxing, museum gardens, and the building is, is brilliant. It's a great place to be. You say relaxing, and definitely from the outside, there's serenity. What I'm interested in when there's 150 covers on and you've got private tables or it's a wedding or, like you mentioned earlier, someone's a vegan or a veggie and you're trying to produce 150 covers. I bet that's not that serene. We're coming up to four years being open now. The menus have evolved throughout that time. And we, on a very busy night, we'll have uh, you know, six or seven waiters each running a section of the restaurant who could all have a table sat in their section every 15 minutes. So potentially, every 15 minutes, on the nose, you could have seven orders coming through the ticket machine. We are, um, we have an old school destroyer of dreams ticket machine that spits out the orders in the kitchen. And <laughs> I like that name. What, what we used to do is take one ticket at a time, complete that ticket whilst the other ones are all in progress, and then send out one ticket at a time. And what we found was that a lot of people were eating the same things. So now, on a, on a very busy evening, I'll control the mass and we take the tickets off three or four at a time and we'll call everything on and the chefs will respond. And then we'll send the, t the tables out in waves. So, you know, three or four tables at a time. Each one of them's got a prawn cocktail on, pudding, salmon, whatever. And then we'll move them over to the, 
So they kind of hot side of the kitchen. They say to the guys, right, you know, you've got five lamb shanks, four burgers, two two ribeye steaks, one Philly steak, and then, and then we treat those four or five tables like one big table. And it's easier to it's easier to coordinate from a logistics point of view, getting getting the food onto the plate in, the, in a timely manner, and at the right standard. So I believe as well your partner's in catering as well? She's indeed. She runs the uh, front house here. She's a GM. So how much of your free time isn't free time because actually you're thinking about the restaurant? Yeah, there's a lot of that. We, we spend a lot of time here. If you're not working, we do in and around the place. You know, if I'm, unless I'm anywhere else, I'll be in here every day. Be constantly, you know, communicating with the team and people. We've got some great people who work with us. The team is so important. Uh, to, to delivering that, that standard day in, day out. And it should be the same if, if I'm not here. I find that the guys will all put a lot of pressure on themselves to to leave me alone when I'm when I'm not working. But then I do I do worry about it because I make it I make it personal. I think if, if you don't do that then you you kinda of missing the trick. Definitely. Do you feel does uh, Andrew ever come and do a service with you? Yeah Andrew's Andrew's cooked here a lot really. Heron is Andrew's baby and he he lives over the road, he spends a lot of time there. He's in the kitchen every day. If he comes down to York We'll often, um, well, he comes in the kitchen door because that's the way he's programmed. And he'll always go around and say hello to the lads. And he makes a point of, um, of making himself available when he's here. And I think that's really, it's really important. And it's duplication. The way Andrew is with me, the other senior people who he has a regular contact with, is the way we are with our people. If he is he's kind of respectful of us, we, everybody sees that. That is something that really contributes towards the way people feel about working for Andrew. And is it a case of when he comes in, it's everybody straightens the backs and starts is the, chip, the chef's jackets, or is it a little bit more casual than that? Oh, very much so. People stand to attention when they see him. <laughs> yeah, somebody um, that we're so lucky to work for or with somebody like Andrew, you know, he, he is the boss, he is the visionary, but he's, um, he's a human being and everybody respects him as a chef. Just got a nice way with people. Talk to me then about your last dish. So this is a bit boring, really, but I wanted to talk about curry. Being from um, being a Lancastrian, a few places um, close to where I live serving some really good curries. <laughs> you know, if I have a night off and want to relax, some cracking curry houses in York, and do enjoy partaking in a curry. <laughs> uh, it's all about the sides. Yeah, I um, completely agree. I just want every side order. I'm not, <laughs> not even that bothered about yeah. the curry. I just want something to dip in my sauce yeah, yeah. and then I'm pretty damn happy. So that's, that's just a, a bit of fun, really. Is it something you feel like you can enjoy, having you know, being able to cook the calibre of food that you can, to then go into a, a greasy curry house and have a cracking curry? Do you enjoy it in the same way or is it slightly different? Yeah, I do. And again, we, we talked about this earlier way when, when I go out to eat somewhere. I just don't really have a lot of time to do that so it becomes a bit more special you just want to like immerse yourself in in that kind of experience I think what's been amazing is to get different people's takes on food how have you developed your food philosophy what I've really enjoyed throughout this interview is that you really know yourself as a chef and I think that's great and I'd like to know how you develop that working with different people you you always take something away from, from their attitude or their style I've made a, made a point of working in, in different places. So I worked in Michelin-starred restaurants, hotels. I worked in a factory. I worked in an old folks' home for a couple of days. <laughs> I worked in, in big, high-volume pubs. I worked for a charity. I worked in a music and arts venue. We made pizzas and made bread. I tried to do a bit of everything. When I, when I was at college, I did my level two qualifications and I specialised in my third year in pastry. Now, I'm not a pastry chef, but it was the thing that I was weakest to doing, so I wanted to challenge myself by making a point of, of kind of chasing it down and wanting, wanting to learn the science behind the way that the pastry section was put together. Because it is a bit more, it's a bit stricter in terms of the recipes you have to follow, the times, the temperatures, um, make a little bit of bread. We've been experimenting with adding different amounts of steam into the oven at different times, which conducts the heat better than the air would do which has been really interesting. One thing that Joe, who's my other half, said about me the other day was people would look at you as a chef 
they would know. Because of my role here running the entire restaurant, they would know that you could cook, or they wouldn't know that you could take the kitchen apart and put it back together again. <laughs> and that for me is, um, I really enjoyed hearing that. And it is true, you know, responsible for everything, but even down to the, the switches on the ovens and the thermocouples, we have spare parts on site for all the equipment. Um, we have good relationships with the engineers, so we know that we can get things repaired, but a lot of the time we can fix things ourselves. We just try and turn our hands to everything, and it's so important that everything works. When you're so busy, the demand on the equipment is enormous. We rely on rely on it all delivering for us, and you know, thankfully we're pretty lucky with that. It seems to me that you like your fine detail, and you like having control. So how are you with a situation where you can't control it? Um, I'm a terrible passenger in a car. <laughs> you backseat driver? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're a backseat chef? Uh, not really, no. I, if your I, partner's cooking for you? No, no, I, I enjoy anybody cooking for me, really. The, the lads in the kitchen often make like a staff lunch, and it's, it's really interesting to see how, how people kind of formulate an idea of how they're going to cook. But I, I am a bit of a control freak. Learning to delegate was a big achievement for me, really, and uh, something I've enjoyed doing. I've got a bit more time to myself now. I've learned to do that. <laughs> So what I'm going to ask all my guests to do as we wrap up each episode, if you will, you've got your menu in front of you, is just read through your menu, each name of the dish, and then I just want you to pick one special. So if we had a specials board in the star in today, which one of these would you like to see up there? And that's your choice, that's your pick of the day. Right, OK, this could be controversial. Go on then. So uh, the menu starts off with a prawn cocktail, iconic uh, for here, and, and I'd made try to put my own stamp on, on everything we do whilst it's Andrew's name above the door I'm the one who's kind of responsible for, for delivering that the prawn cocktail is something that is not my dish we we maintain a consistency of every single one that gets served quite like to work out how many we've sold time we've been open and after that pasta bake eating with friends a lamp hot pot so quite important to me in terms of the connection to Nigel and my time in North Carolina. Yorkshire puddings over on the uh, in the White Rose County, something we do we do a lot of. Um, then followed by curry, which is the one at the end. We actually had a mutton curry on the menu, um, and we that was on the last menu which we just finished. It was so it was so popular, and I I couldn't have called it. It was one of those where we me and Andrew worked on the menu. I sent it back to him. And we emails flying around, and he he print it off and we write on it in pen. <laughs> and they take a picture of the menu and send it back to me and I retype it and, and so the process continues the mutton curry appeared on there and I thought it's, it's a bit of a curveball it was absolutely fantastic and it was so well received by people it's the ultimate kind of uh, comfort food really so make your choice which of these we're going to have as, as a special I would say a lamb hot pot but Andrew probably um, would try and hunt me down so uh, <laughs> um, the the Yorkshire pudding and the prawn cocktail are currently on the menu, so we're probably going to be uh, going for a pasta bake. Yeah, that's yours. It's your special. So all I wanted to say really was obviously I approached you online. We've been messaging a little bit backwards and forwards, and you've really kindly given up your time today. Um, out of all the places I've visited so far, I can tell this is so busy, but the standard of stuff that you've produced, I've eaten here as a punter before, is really, really top-notch. So all I can do is say thank you so much for appearing on The Pass. Thank you. You know, when, when you get to know people online, you see yeah, their yeah. kind of persona, it's interesting when you actually meet, when you meet people. Cause they're always kind of, um, people are all pretty complex. You kind of get to know what they're like as a chef or as a person, what their passions are. And someone like yourself who is interested in, in the trade will come from a completely different background. I wonder how it would feel for me walking into to a different industry and trying to understand you know, what yeah. people were trying to achieve. I think it's... It's funny, isn't it, because I, I go to these places now, me and my partner, our passion is Michelin stars. We love hunting down stars. And I agree with you that I can sit there in Mr. P's Tavern where I had my lunch and have amazing food. But our passion is Michelin's. And afterwards we get to meet these chefs and we chat with them. And that's my passion. And I've, and I've said to them, I'm a better diner than I am a chef. I've tried yeah. chefing before. I couldn't really get into it. I, I've got massive respect for you guys, the work and the hours you do and the effort you put in just for somebody to go Woof, and maybe even half appreciate it yeah. and so that's how this came about really it was because I absolutely admire every single one of these chefs that I just thought I need to get to know some of these people and 
<laughs> if it kind of goes nowhere, it goes nowhere. If it goes somewhere, it goes somewhere. The That's other, kind of how it came about. The other people you've, you've talked talked about being a part of this first series. You've got you've got the Michelin star. You've got Andrew. You know when I when I found out that Andrew was involved with this, it was you know kind of a rubber stamp for me that I was going to be in good good company. And then you've got um, Josh Overington. He's a fantastic cook. He's cooking food from his heart, and I've, I've eaten his restaurant a couple of times, and they've not had anything that wasn't worthy of a star, and they don't have one. Um, and the same for the Freemasons. So Steve's been cooking at the Freemasons for you know as long as I can remember, and he's he's got three rosettes, and he's he's chipping away at it all the time, and they are they're at the top of the game, and there's many chefs who are deserving of a star who have who haven't got one. And they're all operating at a completely different level to what we do. And I, I, I appreciate them in the same way you do. And I, I look up to a lot of these people because they're trailblazers and they, they're getting on with it and they make, they're doing it their own way. And the great thing about cooking is that no two meals made with the same ingredients will be the same. I completely agree. And it's exciting. I, completely, I think that's the magic of it. You know, you can... Even by the same chef, it yeah. can completely depend on the day and the time. And if I did a menu of my life, it'd have to be all the things that I'd eaten rather than things that necessarily, you know, my mum's cooked. And that's kind of why I find it interesting when I ask people to come up with their five courses. Because when you're somebody who can cook, do you go with, right, well, these are all the five things that I enjoy cooking the most? Or when you're somebody who's got a restaurant, do you say, right, these are the five things that are best on my restaurant? Or do you actually say, hang on, I ate and I was in a tiny little calf, and I was on a river somewhere in France and I had mussels and that made me think I'm going to be a chef and that's yeah, like, why do you know what I mean that's why every, everybody's there's no right or wrong answer to this menu there's no if somebody comes in and brings me five things and every single one says Cadbury's fruit and nut then let's talk about that why Why you, you're the expert that's why I could never be a food blogger it's quite subjective really people's different opinions and different plates of food it could be quite personal, it could be, it could depend on which way the wind blowing. You talked about the flat caps and, you know, the negative reviews that we've had before. There are all sorts of different factors contributing towards whether people enjoy uh, a plate of food or a pun or something to make them laugh. And that's what makes us, um, that's what makes us get out of bed every day is giving people something a bit different. Do you not get a little bit frustrated sometimes, though, because you think, look, I'm the one slaving away. I'm the one who's worked in Michelin stars. You're just a bloke who works down in an office and you're telling me that this steak isn't quite right or this... We want people to enjoy the, the food. We, don't, we do take it personally when somebody doesn't enjoy something, but the main focus is getting them something they're going to enjoy. We literally like walk over hot coals to, to give somebody a plate of food that they like. A particular challenge is when they, if somebody doesn't enjoy a steak or they think it's cooked not to their liking, they don't even cut into it, you think to yourself, well, just, you know, just chop it in half and then see what you think. And another particular gripe of mine is uh, the, uh, the keyboard warriors and TripAdvisor. <laughs> so people will say, um, the right review, will say, oh, we went there and we didn't enjoy it. We took some friends. We've been there loads of times before. We didn't like it because the fish was dry. But then the four or five times they've eaten before, where's the review from that? It's yeah. not really balanced. And that makes... It makes our life really difficult because we, we're answerable to those reviews. But people aren't talking about the times they came when everything was perfect and the staff you know, looked after them as they expected. It was just the oh, dry fish, didn't like it. Whose reputation do you feel like you're trying to uphold? Is it yours? Is it Andrew's? It's Andrew, really, because he, he can see that. And he would, in my mind, he would think, well, what's going on down there? And he, he trusts us to get on with it. And I, I would really enjoy your trip advisor a little bit more I don't look at it to be honest I enjoy it I'd look at it if I felt that people were writing balanced things on there that's one of my uh, my little chef hacks <laughs> don't look at trip advisor and don't, look at <laughs> and don't look at the bookings and don't look at the bookings because what could happen is you could have 35 bucks for lunch and the sun will come out and you'll get 80 people on the terrace and you'll end up doing 150 and if you lure yourself into a false sense of security then you're in trouble so um we have a bit of a thing, myself and Andrew. We call it attack at all times. We prepare for prepare for battle. Prepare for battle every single day. That's a really good uh, note to leave this podcast on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Series two bonus news. That's right. 
as I promised before this episode, was going to give you a little bit of insight into Series 2. So we're going to be coming back, and we're coming back bigger, bolder, and better than ever. And this time, I venture outside of Yorkshire for the very first time. So, just to give you a little something to go on, my first guest for the past podcast, Series 2, will be none other than Stephen Smith from the Freemasons at Whizzle. Now, I'm so, so, so excited that I'm going to be coming back with Steve. He's such a great guy, and he offers a really great episode. And for the first time, we have a live food tasting on the pass. So tune in for that in September. The best way to do that is to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed already, please do it. It helps more people find me, and it helps get the word out. And likewise, if I can really ask you a massive favour, just give us a little review. Even if you just put, this is nice, then it really helps cut through the fat on iTunes. Oh God, no pun intended there. I'm very sorry. But it does. It helps me stand out. (laughs) So I'm laughing at my own joke. (laughs) That's really bad. Oh God, you can see the fun I have. (laughs) But seriously, if you can, just leave a simple review and it will help me stand out. I really thank everybody for their support. I thank you for listening to Series 1. I hope you enjoy the last few episodes that we've got. And we'll be back in September with Stephen Smith. And we've got some incredible, incredible guests lined up. Um, And actually, the first Leeds guest, and I've just banged on about going outside of Yorkshire, but I live in Leeds and I haven't actually had a Leeds guest yet. So we've got the first couple of guests from Leeds. We're going to go up north, even further up north. And I'm hoping we might even venture into the big smoke. So, yeah, if you know, and, and the other thing as well, sorry, I'll let you go now. If you're listening to this and you're in the catering industry and you'd like to take part, just email me, Paul at the Past Podcast. Follow me at Paul Newb on Twitter if you're not already and get in touch because I'm always looking for guests. And as you've seen from this series, you don't just have to be a head chef. You don't just have to own your own restaurant. You can be at whatever stage, you know. I'm interested to hear from absolutely everybody. So anyway, thank you and thank you to everybody that's been involved in making the past podcast such a fantastic journey. I love you lots. Bye-bye.